The content here is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional with any medical questions and concerns. If you are experiencing an emergency or need immediate help, call 911. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapeutic relationship. I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. Hello and welcome to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Chad Douglas. And I'm Nikki Shields. This is episode 31, What About Me? And Nikki, this is an episode that I th- I think could kind of get a little sad if once you think about it, we kind of break it down because you sit there and go like, well, what is it about me? But we're, we're talking about siblings of those with anxiety and specifically talking to the parents of the different ways you have to parent a child who has a sibling with anxiety because it is different. Yeah. And I want to take it a step beyond anxiety because I I think, you know, there are probably parents listening who have children with other mental health disorders like mm-hmm. depression or ADHD or even some more serious kinds of things like, you know, bipolar disorder and things that, you know, can be a little bit more explosive. And uh, those siblings are certainly living a different experience than some other kids. And so um, I think there's there's a lots of different setups where, you know, how to how to kind of balance both kids can be a tricky thing. And so I that's our goal is in this episode to talk a little bit about how to how to keep check on kids that are very, very different and who might have very different needs based on their mental health. And I think we've explained in past episodes that this is, you know, with the child with anxiety, it's changed the way I parent overall. Um, And I've said many times, I think it's changed the way I parent for the better. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's aggravating and super frustrating, but I think showing compassion, um, I don't even think, I know showing compassion goes a long, long way. And uh, sometimes you show enough compassion to where I'm out of compassion, buddy. It's it's time to go. But then you have another child who doesn't have the extra anxiety or ADHD or or another condition, and you parent them different. And then you get the the other one going. Well, you like you like that one better, or you treat them better. You're nicer to them. And it's like, mm. and we did have the talk, my wife and I, with both kids, and just said, you know what, guys, you're two different human beings. We're going to parent you differently because you respond differently to what we say. Mm-hmm. So far, it's worked, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you have kids that are, you know, the age of my kids, I think the age of your kids too, mm-hmm. everything is looked at through that lens of fair. What's mm-hmm. fair? That's not fair. Or, you know, you did this for him, but not for me. And um, and so I think it makes it extra challenging when you've got kids who have such different needs, who emotionally and behaviorally respond so differently. It's hard for it to look fair through their perspective. You might, as parents, feel like, yeah, hey, we're, we're being just as fair and balanced as we can. But for kids, they might experience that very differently. So especially with with something like anxiety, ADHD, you know, ODD, some of these other childhood mental health conditions, making things feel fair can be very challenging. Yeah. And we've all but outlawed the F word in our house, fair, because <laughs> I don't have to be fair because you are two different people. And like I just said, you're parented differently than you are because you guys react differently and respond differently mm-hmm. to how we parent. So mm-hmm. No F word in the Douglas household. <laughs> but the other one is fine, right? The oh, other, yeah, yeah. That one's yeah, fine. But. Yeah, like water it flows. Um, <laughs> so let's get into it then. How important is it to parents differently when you have a, a child with a mental health issue versus one that's not? Well, it's fairly important. It, oh, wait, we're not supposed to use that word. Sorry. Fair is a bad word. Um, it, it, it's quite important to 
try to balance it. But even more important than that is having compassion for the fact that you're not going to do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and probably the the best advice I could give a parent who's looking at this, you know, how do I how do I handle, you know, the the needs of my child with a mental health condition versus the needs of my child that does not have a mental health condition is just understanding that like the fact that you're thinking about it, the fact that you're worried about it, the fact that you are trying to find better strategies means you're probably ahead of the game. So, you know, having some compassion and, um, you know, self-care and just that idea that it doesn't have to be perfect and every day is a new opportunity to try. But some of the things that can come up if you are not, you know, balancing this very well or some of the red flags you can see in the siblings of kids with mental health conditions um, might be that they're frightened. They may, you know, if if their sibling has an explosive sort of mental health condition, so maybe, um, you know, a, a mood disorder that leads to them being, you know, irate or angry or um, ODD, where we tend to see, you know, a, a bit more acting out and sometimes, you know, aggression and oppositional behavior. And then... Um, Can I stop you there for a second? Let's talk about ODD real quickly. I think I yeah. know what it stands for. Is it oppositional yeah. defiance behavior? Oppositional defiant disorder. Disorder. Okay. Yep. I'm like the, the yep. behavior doesn't start with a D there. Okay. Yeah. So, but I remember in the episode with Dr. Jessica Patel, uh, we talked about how rare that is. She goes in like 10 years, she's diagnosed that maybe one time. Yes. ODD is tricky. And in the way that I've always defined it, and I've heard differing opinions, so I'm, I'm definitely open to feedback on this, but it, it's a it's a way to describe behavior. It's a way to describe a pattern of behavior. So for me, ODD was always a frustrating diagnosis. You know, if I met a child and that was a diagnosis they kind of brought to the table uh-huh. from another provider or their psychiatrist or whatever, um, I would be frustrated because that ODD diagnosis doesn't tell you why. It doesn't tell you why that child's behaving in that way. It's simply saying that they are behaving in an oppositional way. And oppositional behavior can be rooted in other things too. And so one of the things we've learned through previous episodes is that oftentimes anxiety looks like oppositional behavior. Depression looks like oppositional behavior. And so a diagnosis of ODD, as as Dr. Patel told us um, several episodes ago, is is really not that helpful. And and if if you if a provider, a doctor, a physician, a counselor gives you that, you know, I, I would encourage you to ask more questions and try to figure out the cause of it because it could be underlying, you know, genetic factors. It could be family dynamics. It could be a traumatic experience. It could be some other mental health symptom that really hasn't been recognized yet. So okay. ODD is tricky in that way. But if you do see a child who's acting in that way or, or displaying oppositional behavior, that could be very alarming to siblings. If there's lots of yelling and screaming or aggressive behavior, that can be frightening. And that becomes kind of a form of trauma to the sibling or to the other family members who are dealing with that on a daily basis basis. You might see um, siblings of kids with mental health conditions be a little bit more stressed or even have higher anxiety themselves because they're not sure what to expect day to day and they're worried about their sibling or they're worried about, you know, their family dynamics and what's going on. And sometimes, and this is probably the thing I've seen most common, is that siblings of kids with mental health conditions oftentimes whether the, the older sibling or the younger sibling doesn't matter, they'll take on more responsibility than is typical for their age. And so they're, yeah. they're almost become like little adults because the other child in the household, you know, is, is acting in a way where they, you know, they have to. And so um, those are just some things to watch for. And if you're seeing those kinds of things, it's important to make sure that that sibling is also getting the appropriate, you know, mental health care and attention and time to work through some of that stuff. Does it help for a sibling to go with the child with the disorders like to a therapy appointment or should it be their own 
I was, yes, yes, and yes. All of okay. those things are good possibilities. I've certainly worked with kids where, you know, the sibling is having a hard time with something that's going on. And so we'll bring them in and have kind of a family session to address things if it's safe and appropriate to do so. If uh, the, the child with the identified disorder is, you know, not stable enough to be able to safely bring in the sibling to address things, then I wouldn't do that. But um, that is sometimes an appropriate response. Other times it's getting the sibling, their own counselor, to process, you know, kind of their own space and an outlet, uh, a person that they can just sort of unload all that stuff to and in a place where they can learn, it's not my fault. You know, I, I'm in no way causing my siblings, you know, behaviors and helping them to get some information and education about their siblings mental health condition, but also coping skills for how they can handle it and not personalize it. Um, and that's, that's super important. So sometimes it is a combined affair or, or like family therapy will help to address, you know, how the one child's behaviors are impacting everyone else's. And sometimes you want to divide it up and it depends on the age of the child and the specific things that they're talking about or voicing or displaying that would tell you, you know, which direction to go. I would assume anyone listening to this episode has witnessed, um, some sort of explosive tendency in a child with a mental health issue. So they can be kind of scary or kind of confusing until you understand what they are. So try to put yourself in the in the shoes of a of a child of a sibling witnessing this. What advice can you give to that parent of that sibling to make sure they feel safe? Or maybe explain to them a little bit on on a child's term of like what your brother or sister is going through seems scary, seems frightening, seems a little uh, out of whack so to speak. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's it's just part of who they are, and it, it's okay. You're still in a safe environment. So I think it's doing what you just did, you know, and and based on the age and developmental level of the child, the conversation is going to look very different. If they're super super young, like baby toddler, and they they are not going to be able to you know process, you want to just kind of get them you know evacuate them from the scene and mm-hmm. get get everything stable and safe again, and then bring them back in and make sure that they you know are comfortable and safe. And you'll know because they'll you know if they're not if they're young and they're like preverbal and they they're kind of clinging or tearful, you know they're probably not feeling safe, and so they need a little more attention. But as they get older, you know some of it they're just gonna they're gonna become accustomed to and the the conversations you have about it will determine sort of how they file that away in their brain and so conversations about you know how did it feel to you when that happened what did you think about what made you feel safe afterward what helped you to feel calm you know what would you do if that happened again who are your support people what if mom or dad or aunt or whoever wasn't there when that happened what could you have done to make to make sure that you were safe and you know and just kind of preparing your child for all these different eventualities that that could happen because if it's happened once it's probably going to happen again um and and making sure you're listening and that's as always I, i'll say this a million times but it's so hard to just be quiet and listen, but so much of what we as humans at any age need is just to tell our story. So if a sibling has just witnessed something frightening or scary or some kind of aggressive acting out behavior from their sibling, they probably need to talk about it. And if they're not Mm -hmm. a kid who's super verbal and they don't need to talk about it, that's okay. Then you can just provide support in the way that that child, you know, may best respond to. But a lot of it is just giving them age appropriate language to understand what happened. So, you know, your sibling has something called, you know, and we'll, in this case, we'll say anxiety and anxiety sometimes makes people feel like really, really frightened. Like maybe they're not safe and they have to do whatever they can to stay safe. And sometimes that makes their behavior change. And that can be really scary for people watching, but it's just a thing that's going on in his or her brain. And and we're going to be here to, to make sure that you stay safe. And here's some things you can do. So it's, it's just having a conversation with the child about what happened as well as what to expect in the future and making sure that you and this is hard, but like unpack any sort of personal responsibility, depending on the kid's wiring, personality, things like that. Sometimes they'll just like without 
any good reason, just sort of start to own it. You know, I shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have done that. And that's, you know, some kids are just that way. I, I'm, I've always been that kind of person myself where, you know, if something goes wrong. First thing I think is, oh, what could I have done to make this better? What could I do to fix this? How can I prevent this in the future? And so when you think that way and something scary happens around you, your internal sense is, oh gosh, what do I have to do to make sure that doesn't happen again? So you want to make sure that children aren't going, well, he acts that way because of me, or she acts that way because of something I said or did. And that, that, that involves listening. It involves conversation and just kind of monitoring your kiddos. If you have a kiddo who, when you have that conversation afterwards, there's like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Do you take them at their word or do you read some body language or do you take that as kind of an, eh, maybe we need to come back and talk later kind mm -hmm. of thing? Or do you think that they've processed it and they're good to go? I guess it's situational. Well, you've answered your own question. Um, okay, good. Moving because on. It's, yeah, next. Uh, but it's it's all those things. It's, you know, if they're if they're like, no, but you can tell by their body language it's not over, just say, okay, well, if you change your mind, you want to talk about it, let me know. Then you check in later. You know, if if they seem like, no, I need to talk about it, you know, make space for that. Make there be an opportunity. Revisit it a day or two later. How are you feeling about that? I know, and, you know, I'm not going to tell a lot of stories on this episode because I do want to protect my children's privacy, but mm -hmm. I remember one particularly rough evening and I can't remember, you know, that's the worst part about some of these things is Blocking you don't out. always remember what started it and yeah. what it was in. It was so silly and overblown, but or really rough evening. And I, I remember it was, it was probably three or four days later before the, the sibling in my house was like, Hey, that was scary. I didn't like when that happened. Um, and, and I was just glad we had the opportunity to close the loop on that. So it, it takes time sometimes to process, but just ask open-ended questions and, you know, well, like, uh, in the last episode with Dr. Roland, you know, don't say things like that was really hard, wasn't it? Because that's mm -hmm. a yes or no answer. Loaded, but yeah. yeah. How did, how did that feel? What did, what did you think of that? You know, what, what made it easier to get through that? What would you like us to do next time? Give them things where they just, they have to generate a verbal answer. And then also just watch their body language. When they're done with that conversation, let it be done. You've yep. answered the questions to pacify them. So yep. move on. What happens if the child with a mental health issue becomes aggressive toward the sibling or maybe even violent? Oh, and, and we all know this happens. And this yeah. is this is a tricky thing to talk about because, again, once again, it depends on many, many factors. So, you know, if it's a situation where the kids are close in age and size, you know, you, you want to, you know, make eye contact with the child who's not escalated and, you know, move, go out of the room, move your body, get away, you know, and, and like, or if they're little and they're not able to have that much like control and they're much smaller or younger, you physically pick them up and remove them. Okay. And because any, tr you know, when you, it's like trying to break up a fight between, you know, two dogs, like you, you're going to get hurt in a crossfire. And that's, that's, so you, you really want to do whatever you can on the front end to get them separated and, and get the kiddo who's not escalated away and then give the other child some space and then try to help de-escalate them. But you don't want to physically intervene with the acting out child because then that, that just kind of increases the intensity of it for everyone involved. And as I think we said literally in all 31 episodes, Nikki, check your own emotions at the door. Yeah. But darn it, that's hard sometimes. And I know, mm -hmm. again, I'm going to, like you, kind of keep kids' privacy here. But sometimes my kid that doesn't get escalated will will see more of myself or my wife. Like you were yelling. And it's mm -hmm. not that the, the child with anxiety was upset. It was mom and dad. Yeah. And so then it's hard to kind of say like, well, this is why. Yes, it probably could have been handled differently. But mm -hmm. a thousand times were, were tried. But it's just yeah. it's a matter of 
where did I read somewhere? I think it was a, a post we shared on our Facebook page, which by the way, Scrambled Podcast on Facebook, that said a, a child who's had an anxious day or a rough day is not going to come home and say like, oh, I had a rough day at school. They're going to say things like, will you go out and play with me? And it's just a matter of learning mm-hmm. their language or even their body language of, of what's on their mm-hmm. mind. And then, yeah. Or they might say something like, I don't care what you say or leave me alone mm-hmm. or don't talk to me. Right. So sometimes I had a rough day comes out as animosity towards you mm-hmm. or towards a sibling that, you know, and, and I think like sibling rivalry is its own subject and we, and we may very well visit this in a future episode, but it's, it's hard to tell like when to intervene and when not. And so even if the behavior, you know, is related to a mental health condition, there are times when it's okay to kind of leave it alone and let them work through it because these are two people who, who are in a relationship too, right? They're siblings mm-hmm. and they, yeah. they need to, you know, figure out how to navigate one another. But if you are worried about safety, if it's going to get physical, if you suspect it's getting physical, you want to intervene and you know, your kids and you know, kind of their trigger points. And so, so being aware of that and watching for that and, and just putting a stop to it as soon as you can, easier said than done. Don't get me wrong, but, um, but, but sibling stuff, they do have to be able to like work through conflict and that kind of thing. And I know in our house, and I don't know if this is related to ADHD or other things, or if it's just the way siblings are, it's, it seems like sometimes when the kids are not doing well together, if I get involved, it gets worse and then they turn on me. So then I'm the bad guy and I was just trying to help them solve the problem. And so, you know, as long as no one's getting hurt, it really is okay to kind of let them figure it out. But if you, if one child is older than, larger than, you know, smarter than, bigger than all those things, you, you don't want to allow that to, to shift into a, like a bullying relationship because yeah. then obviously that's not going to have a good outcome. Yeah. Cause a bully can be in your house, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I have a, a friend who has three kiddos and she told me, she's like, if two of them are around, doesn't matter which two, they play great together. Add that third one in and there's going to be a fight. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I guess that's just sibling rivalry or, yeah. or finding out who's the leader of the pack, so to speak. Yeah. But, well, in three's a crowd. I mean, in in yeah. kids kids groupings, oftentimes that's an uncomfortable dynamic. But um, yeah, it's it. So I should com- tell them to have another child. Then is that, that's, that's what, what you want to balance it out. It's <laughs> that's all, the it's advice. Right? Balance. That's it. More babies. <laughs> um, <laughs> but bullying versus sibling rivalry is really really hard because there's a thin line and I've seen both in my house and I've, you know, and I, I get, Oh, so this is the whole thing. And I know I've referenced this in a previous episode, but when my kids do anything that hurts each other, like I turn into a, like a rage machine. Like I am so angry because it's, it's like somebody's hurting my baby, but it's my baby that's hurting my baby, you know? And then it's like the, the fight or flight instinct for me kicks in and I don't know what to do with it. So then afterwards I'm like, I'm the scary one, you know, that, that, that everybody had to like, Oh gosh, you know, she got really mad. So that's so hard. And I, and I even taking it outside of the conversation about like dealing with siblings, you know, who are growing up with a sibling with mental illness. Um, it's just really, really hard to navigate those relationships of your, of your children's relationships. And so part of it is just knowing your own red flags. And I know, you know, this is definitely a broken record here, but know your own red flags. And if you, if something's going on that, you know, is going to trigger you to be not calm and chill, (laughs) tap in, you know, tap, tap your significant other, a family member, somebody else in for help um, and do your best to just kind of, you know, not get escalated as it's going on, but it, it is really, really tough. And some of the, Sometimes people ask, well, what's the difference between bullying and sibling rivalry? And I, I think for me, like the, the clearest difference is bullying is when one child has um, an obvious advantage physically, emotionally, verbally, mm-hmm. 
you know, over the other child and that child does not have the ability to stand up for themselves um, or protect themselves in it. And that's, that's different. That's a, that's a, a dominance thing. And, and that's where parents do need to get involved. Okay. Let's talk about things that could develop if, if, again, if you're listening to this episode, I'm assuming you can relate to this topic. Um, if you have some kids in your house, uh, one or two of whom, whatever, has anxiety, ADHD, some sort of mental illness, and you have one or two that aren't, can a mental illness develop in the kids who aren't diagnosed yet? Or is that is it kind of predetermined by genetics or can those causes kind of lead. It's, I guess it's, I'm answering all my own questions. You really are. You really um, are just you've, summing it up. You've been I'll replaced. just quiet and you can handle this one. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I guess that would be like traumatic experiences then that yeah, develop yeah. into something. Okay. So lots of things can come out of that. So like if, if the initial, you know, mental health condition involves aggressive, aggressive behavior, acting out, things like that, then yeah, like the, it could be a trauma response. And so now that child could potentially have you know, symptoms of a trauma disorder. If it's, you know, just heightened anxiety because things are always kind of hectic and loud and, and they're not sure what to do or what to expect, then you might just see like an anxiety disorder that surfaces. And so um, it can turn into, you know, almost like a, a secondary, you know, mental health condition in the second child. But it hmm. might also be that that child was predisposed to developing these conditions because of whatever genetic factors led to the first child having it. And so I, I think that can be such a, such a sort of like convoluted thing to try to sort out. And, and that's where like labels and, you know, just the chicken before the egg conversation can get really unclear. Nick inner saints. Yeah. I almost said chicken <laughs> before the pelican. Cause I don't, I don't know, but um, I knew that didn't sound right, but so it, it can get really confusing and really in the end, none of that matters. It's, mm what are you going to do to meet that child's need in that moment? You know, if, if both children are, are showing symptoms of anxiety, depression, other, other things, they need help and they need you to, you know, either find that help or shift what you're doing to help, you know, kind of reduce those symptoms and, and create different, different resources for them within the family. But what we call it and where it started isn't super relevant. If you're seeing it, you know, it's time to, time to do something different. Let's talk a little bit about parent guilt. <laughs> um, I, and I, I guess that's going to be what, what I call it with this. But if you have a child with a mental illness, they're, for lack of a better term, more emotionally expensive than the other kids in your household. So you have um, some sort of escalation. Possibly you've escalated. Maybe you haven't. But then it's like so much of your emotion will start. And, and, and you know, I'll give the example of sometimes before school, things are going. And by the time we get uh, a child to school, it feels like I've worked a full day and then I have to go work a full day. And that child has to go to school for the first day. And then I might feel like I ignore the other kid or kids in the house because I've spent so much of my uh, emotional whatever platter on them. Emotional platter. Uh, so it's the emotional pelican. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a glass case of emotion. So then what do you do with the other kid that you feel like you ignored? Are Are they being ignored or... Yes and no. I mean, there's there's some days where you just know you don't have it and you maybe have to, you know, pass the ball to the to another parent or another adult in your life to, to help give that child, you know, the time and attention. Or you may say, depending on how old the child is and how, you know, how patient they could be, hey, you've had a really great day and I'm so proud of you and I want to celebrate this, but we're not going to be able to do it tonight. It's been such a long day and I'm very, very tired and it's bedtime and, you know, but like, this weekend, let's do X, Y, and Z. So like delayed acknowledgement, you, you don't have to delay the acknowledgement, but maybe you don't have the energy to, to do a full on parade for the child who's doing well. And plus one of the things I know we talked about when we were planning for this episode is oftentimes celebrating one child's successes when another child is struggling, that just yeah. brings that guilt out too. So now you've got it on both sides. And I, I think this is where, you know, like 
I'm at a loss, you know, a lot of the time. And I think most parents are. We have to take it back to self-care, compassion, trying again tomorrow, you know, and anything, anytime you go to bed as a parent, because parent guilt, that's real, right? The struggle is real. Um, Anytime you go to bed and you have that, you know, I, I encourage you to just, just sit with it for a minute. What do you wish you had done differently? If you could rewind and do the whole situation over again, how would you have responded? What would you have done? How would you have shifted your energy and attention so that it would have maybe had a different ending? And then identify what you're going to do different and then go ahead and decide I'm going to do that different next time and then shut it off because staying and just rolling it over and over and over in your head doesn't make it better. And it doesn't make your kids feel better. And it certainly doesn't make you feel better. And so like rehash it to the extent, you know, for a minute, like, what do I wish I had done different? And that's, that's probably the best parenting Mm. question I can give you to ask yourself is what do I wish I had done different? Because you can't control how the kids respond. You can't control the fact that the day might've been a dumpster fire. You can't control how physically tired you are or what other busy, you know, schedule issues you had going on. But you can pause, reflect and say, what do I wish I had done different? And then just by thinking that through, maybe even writing it down, you know, or saying it out loud to someone, the next time you are more likely to do it that way. And just know that each time you go at it, it's going to be a little bit better than the time before. And then eventually, you know, they grow up and move out. (laughs) (laughs) I also um, think it's good to have that conversation once you're at a better place with the child. Mm -hmm. I wish I would have handled this differently. Mm-hmm. How about you? What did you learn today and, and all that and, and having that open conversation? Absolutely. And I, I yeah, I, I didn't think of that. I'm so glad you said it. Um, the conversation, you know, that for parent guilt, you know, that's a that's a you and, and your parenting partner, if you have one or other adults in your life to process, how do you want to handle this differently? But with your kids, there is nothing wrong when everything, when the crisis is over and everybody's calm and safe and, and everybody's okay, saying, gosh, that was hard. You know, what should we do different? And I, I've done that. And I'm not going to say it has like an awesome outcome every time, but oftentimes after a really mm-hmm. bad day or, or fight or disagreement or something in our house, I'm like, okay, so everybody, what are we going to do next time? What's one thing you're going to do to make it different the next time we have the situation? And, you know, we, we're still going to have rough situations, but at least we're taking the time to reflect. And sometimes it gets better. Kids need to learn that too. Nikki, can the child without the mental health condition, is there concerns, are there concerns of them copying the so-called bad behavior that they see in in some of those explosions? Yes, I I would say that that is one of the biggest worries that's been presented to me when we're talking, you know, in in counseling sessions, when we're talking about siblings and how, how what's going on is impacting them is I don't, I, you know, I've started to see them copy their siblings behavior or what if they start doing the same thing? How do I make sure they don't? And that, that is, that is a very real thing. And I know that I've seen, you know, whether we're talking about it in the lens of mental health condition or just behavior, when I've seen my youngest child do things she's seen her older sister do. And I Mm -hmm. thought, that's not you. You know, where did Mm -hmm. that come from? That's not how you respond. And just know that that's that's pretty normal. And kids will try on a lot of different behaviors for size. But if it's not like a problem within them, it's probably not going to stick. Like if it doesn't work for them, if it's not serving some kind of purpose, eventually it's going to fade away anyway. But it's also okay to say, hey, you know, I I noticed when you got upset, you did X, Y, and Z, you know, where have you seen that before? Have you noticed anybody else do that? And just sort of having a conversation with them about it. You can't make them stop, you know, say, I don't want to see you do that again. That's no more effective with the child without a condition than the child with. And so, you know, not getting caught up in that, but yes, that, that is a common worry, the copying or learning the negative behaviors. And the best thing I can say to that is like, if, if you're seeing problematic behaviors in your child with a mental health condition, get help, talk to someone, 
figure out some behavioral strategies for better managing that so that it doesn't continue. Because if there's nothing to copy, it's less likely that your other children are going to, you know, take on that behavior. Sure. Conversely, what if they start doing bad behaviors to get attention? Because they they perceive that so much of your attention is focused on the child with a mental illness that they're not getting the, the attention that they need and deserve. And I, I, I got to think this is with, with larger families too, that this is probably just a general concern anyway. That definitely can happen. And I know that I've worked with families where it's, it's almost like the, the problem would sort of move. It would move from one child to another. And so then, you know, this, this child would get things sorted out. They'd get the attention they need. And then somebody else would kind of flare up and, and suddenly get more attention because their behaviors were acting out. And if you're seeing that kind of a pattern or you're, you're noticing, you know, that this seems to be like a cry for attention mm-hmm. and don't be angry about it. Take it as a cry for attention. This, this child is telling you with their behavior that they need more than what you're giving. And I know sometimes that can feel like, you know, I can't get blood from a turnip or whatever. Gosh, why do it's I keep trying? Egg from a chicken, whatever. Yeah, I can't, whatever. <laughs> the horse in the car, I don't care. Um, but if, <laughs> but giving them the attention they need is the only way to like shift that behavior. And then teaching them, you know, when you were upset, you did this because you didn't think I was listening. And so next time I want you to do this and let's try it and see what happens. And then, you know, role playing and practicing and, you know, modeling it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, th- that's the thing about all this is we adults aren't that far removed from acting out for attention. And so we just got to be careful that we're not demonstrating that just like kids. I kind of want you to repeat that, or maybe I can for you, that if they're acting out as a cry for attention, don't get angry, see it as they're acting out for attention. Mm -hmm. But if you're in the red zone yourself, that's going to be hard to see. Mm -hmm. And then you're possibly getting escalated with the child who needs that attention. They don't need anger. And that's what, when I said at the beginning of the episode, part of this makes me sad. It's just like when you look at this from above, because I guarantee you I'm guilty of it, it's sad that you've Mm -hmm. got the the kid that's acting out for attention and then they get in trouble and all they they need is a little TLC. Yeah. Yeah. I I honestly, and the the, things have been rocky in the world, you know, just so much is going on and everybody I know is kind of at their wits end. and, And in my heart of hearts, I just, I know that we all just need a little bit more empathy, a little bit more kindness, somebody who will listen and, and help us to just, because we we can solve our own problems, right? Like even kids have the ability to resolve their own difficult emotions and frustrations. But if nobody gives you the space to talk about it, it just stays up there and it stays bottled up and then it explodes when there's some kind of a, a triggering event. And so, I mean, it just, we just need to listen to each other. And the best thing we can do for our kids, no matter what the cause of their behavior is, if they're acting out, if they, you know, we, we got a, a email from a teacher this week and my first instinct was, you know, ah, going to boarding school or you're grounded forever. <laughs> Nobody's, you know, we're not doing it. I'm taking your phone. But what I, what I realized when I step back from that is, okay, that's acting out behavior that, that we're seeing basically. It's a mild version, but it is nonetheless acting out. And so, you know, what, what's needed, what, what unmet need is going on there that I need to maybe tune into as the parent. And so when you look at misbehavior as a, the result of an unmet need, it is so much easier not to get mad. And like you said, when you get in the red, then the child's, you know, it's only going to make the problem worse because now you're making them feel bad for feeling bad. And then, you know, just a pile of bad. Um, but so it just comes down to, okay, I'm upset. Now's not the time to handle this. I'm going to revisit this when I'm calm and I hope you'll join me. And two points to to point out here, kids are allowed to have big feelings just like adults. They are little humans. And so I feel like sometimes the adult in the kid's life will will react in a way that's not fair because they're allowed to have bad days at school. They're allowed to be in a grumpy mood. Um, 
my daughter the other day was just in a grumpy mood. And I was like, what's going on? And she's like, I don't know. I'm like, you just grumpy? Yeah. Honestly, you know what? I did too. I kind of woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Let's let's try to shake it. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I want to point out is when you're escalated and if you feel like they're crying out for attention, think of the episode where we had where we talked about the the book by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey of asking what happened to you? Because I think you're so instinctively ready to be like, what what's the matter? What's wrong? But it's just if you just phrase it as what's happening, what's going on, I think you're going to get a better reaction mm-hmm. and, and hopefully that'll get you from the red to the green a little quicker and, and whether it's that night or like you said, the next day or two, just to have that conversation. Yep. Absolutely. Something else I want to hit on. We mentioned earlier in the episode, you talked about the child without the mental health condition of being little adults. And Mm -hmm. on one side of me, I go, how cool, because then they're learning more responsibility and everything. And they're helping out around the house because they feel the need to. And then the other side of me goes, gosh, how sad, because you get Mm -hmm. one childhood, man. And if you grow up too fast, and sometimes, unfortunately, kids do have to grow up too fast because of certain situations uh, beyond their control. But if you have something you can control, how sad that you're losing that child's childhood because of the situation in your house that you can yep. prevent. Yes. And and it is. It, it, I see it, too. Sometimes it's like, well, gosh, your kid is well-behaved and respectful and never gets in trouble and helps around the house. Oh, that's so nice. But it's not. It's not because that that it means that they're they're being pulled up above their years. And that's yeah. that's not what we want to do. And so lots of times the advice I would give to, to parents in that situation when they see that sort of adultified, a parentified behavior is first, you know, look at why. What is it that's going on in the household? You know, what personality traits does this kid bring into the the table? What situations are prompting the kid to have to to take on more of an adult role? Are you as the parent doing enough to make sure that people feel safe? Because oftentimes when kids kind of, you know, get parentified, it's because there's not enough safety. They they don't feel mm. emotionally safe enough to to just be children. And because it does require a fair amount of emotional and physical safety to be able to just let loose and, and be a kid, right? And so if you're seeing a kid kind of, you know, go the other route, you can assume there's a lot of anxiety there. You can assume that they're not feeling emotionally safe at times. And so they're they're having to kind of like step it up quickly to, to be able to protect themselves. And so first thing first is look in the mirror and look at how you're handling things and see if there's new structures that need to be added or additional, you know, support networks that are needed to help that child feel truly safe. Second is if you see your child, you know, taken on a worry, like kids who will worry about the finances or they'll, they'll worry about that sibling that's having a really hard time. You know, you listen, you hear it out, you, you give it space, right? Don't, don't shut it down. Don't say, don't worry about that. You don't have to worry about that, but say, Hey, you know what? How about I worry about that today? And I want you to do, you know, and then kind of like redirect the conversation to something that they can control that is safe, that is more in like an age appropriate realm. But it's, it's, it's acknowledging it for the, you know, I noticed that you're worried about that. And I wonder if that's because you feel like I'm not handling it. And I just want you to know, I'm going to take care of that. And you don't have to worry about it. Now, they're not going to just shut off the worry, right? That's a process. It takes time. But if you see it, the big thing is just what are, what are you doing as a parent that's that's making that child feel like they need to step in your place. I'll worry about making the mortgage payment. You worry about monkeypox. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just spread the anxieties all around. Can the little adult type behavior be a cry for help? It can be, yes. I mean, and and, and I want to be clear here. You some some of times kids are just really mature and responsible and it's mm-hmm. not necessarily a problem. Uh, you know, I I was a kid that didn't like break a lot of rules, but like 
I was anxious, but it wasn't because my parents weren't providing safety. Like I, I want to be clear that sometimes kids are just anxious and mature and responsible at the same time. And that's not necessarily a bad set of characteristics. It's when, you know, the, you've got siblings taking care of siblings or, you know, kids who are verbalizing worries about things that are really beyond their years. If they know much about your finances and they're talking to people, that's not good. Right. So um, you can, it can be like not a problem. And that's, that's okay too. But you also kind of have to notice like, is it a sudden change? Is it something your child has always done? Do they seem distressed? If they're distressed, that's probably, you know, something to pay attention to. And now I've completely lost what your actual question was, Chad. Uh, It was whether there was a cry for help. Like if you're folding five loads of laundry a day, is that a cry for like, I need attention? You know, I think you could look at it that way. Like you could say, thank you for the help, but why don't you go play soccer? I'll take care of this. But like at the same time, we want our kids to help, right? We want them to be responsible and help around the house. So it's, I wouldn't necessarily say cry for help, but I would definitely, if it's concerning to you and and you're noticing that, that they're avoiding, you know, age appropriate social activities and and fun to do housework, like let's address it. Let's talk about it. But you're also like, hey, laundry's getting done. So (laughs) yeah, you don't want to rock that boat. Um, Yeah, no. But usually when you see a child that's like, you know, being, being more responsible or taking on more responsibility, it's, you know, they're, you know, taking blame for things that the sibling did to try to protect the sibling or they're, you know, hiding, hiding evidence of something the sibling did. And in that case, you know, it's, they're trying to protect their sibling, which is really cute and kind and loving. Um, but at the same time, like that's responsibility that shouldn't be on their shoulders. So this can look a lot of different ways. And I bet, you know, if we pulled like 10 different families, we get 10 different versions of what this can look like. And so the key is to just like know your child. And if you have a concern, talk to somebody about it. In episode 22, it was titled symptom or superpower. And we talked about how to use your mental health condition as a superpower. So let's talk about that. Then from the sibling's perspective, what good can come of this if you have a child that's a for that sibling, they they can certainly certainly something good's got to come of this, right? Yes. Oh my goodness, yes. And and I will say that you know we're talking about the the negative side or the uncomfortable, not so great side of this, but in in the majority of the cases or the families that I've seen where you know siblings have been involved in therapy or we've talked about kind of those dynamics, it's it's a good thing. These kids, you know, they're empathetic, they're caring, they they have an appreciation. You know, these are the kids that go on to to want to, you know, help others or go into social work or work in mental health or, you know, do these great things, you know, in society to to support those of us who aren't doing as well, right? And so mm-hmm. it's overall, it's not a bad thing. As long as there's, you know, safety is being addressed and everybody's okay, this can really turn into a superpower where your child can be just sort of extra compassionate um, and able to, you know, recognize when somebody else is struggling. And some of the most compassionate and empathetic kids I've met are siblings of kids with serious mental illness. And so it isn't all bad, no. you know, certainly nobody signs up for that, but like, you know, as, as we talked about in that episode, like the key is to find the strength that can come from it because we're all going to face hardship. We're all going to have stuff that happens that we just definitely did not agree to in advance. Mm-hmm. And we have to find the good in it anyway, because, you know, we got to keep going. Yeah, that's right. On our next episode, episode 32, we're going to talk about things. I guess we're talking more specifically to teachers and educators in that episode of things you can look for in the classroom that might be anxiety. It might look like it's something else, but it might be Anxiety might be ADHD, might be OCD, might be some sort of mental health condition. So that's coming up in two weeks. As always, we invite you to check us out on social media. We are on Facebook at Scrambled Podcasts. We're on Instagram. And 
uh, we just started a Twitter account. So if you tweet, you can find us. It, uh, you have to search for Scrambled Podcasts. It gave us kind of a weird handle, but you know, that's Twitter. So <laughs> you can find us there. I've never tweeted before, so I don't I don't know how this works, Ted. Oh, I'm excited. Maybe your to, first to tweet be should Twitterer. be to the Scrambled Podcast page. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you listening to this uh, episode and uh, following us along. If you do like what you're hearing, please share it with those that you think can benefit. Uh, part of the reason we started this was because Nikki is a, a childhood behavioral therapist and, and there's weight lines everywhere to get in to see a therapist. And she's like, if we can get some information out that will at least get people by until they can get in to see a licensed therapist, then that is a good thing. So again, we appreciate you uh, hanging out with us for this time. You can feel free to hit like and subscribe. As always, we ask you to like us uh, on um, Apple Podcasts, rate us and review us. That does help us. Our goal was starting a conversation and that conversation continues with you. 